At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 447th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is building up his property value with beautiful food and growing spaces. We're talking with Matt Smith about urban farming and home values. Matt, was part of MTV at its prime and starred on influential reality TV shows that helped reshape the entertainment industry. He lived a charmed life in his 20s, but if you ask him about being a celebrity, he'd tell you that it was a waste of time. Today, Matt is the creative force behind Smith House Design, an influential marketing and design agency in Phoenix. He and his wife live in South Tempe with their five children and are focused on creating a vibrant food garden and learning space for their family. They are in year three of a massive backyard upgrade that has inspired self-motivated creativity and exploration of the natural world by their entire clan. The Smiths are building an ideal urban farm space while adding value to their home. Welcome to the show today, Matt. Are you ready to rock your urban farm? Are you kidding me, Greg? I was made for this. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah. Thank you so much, Greg, first of all, for having me on the show. You mentioned MTV. You know, MTV used to be a network yeah. and television used to be television. So one of the funny things is uh, MTV moved us into a massive, gorgeous mansion in New Orleans. That was the setting, Greg. I mean, that's right. I'm 21 years old living in a mansion. And the funniest thing was, in spite of all the drama and excitement and coolness, the people who I envied the most, and this is not a joke, Greg, Mm -hmm. is the guys who managed our garden and our front yard of our mansion. Wow. Um, I actually called the producer of the show, you know, because we had access to him. And I said, hey, can I mow the yard? Can, Can I take care of the flowers? And um, he's like, no, you've got to be a celebrity. You don't have time for this. That might have been the moment when I realized that I need to go in a different direction. But yes, so my interest in the back and the outside world is rich and deep, and it's just taken on a new form today. Cool. And you've been on reality TV, and you've told us that you ended up on the wrong network. You should have been on HTTV, not MTV. Say more about that. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, when they think of MTV, they're like, okay, they stopped playing music. That's why MTV was done. Or MTV has dumb reality shows, that have obnoxious people. And I think all of that is true. But for me, it was more about creativity, not just about passively lounging around, but what is the world we live in and how do we make it better? And you can have grand ideas for where you want to see the world go. But really, that all starts in your home and your family and in your backyard. So, of course, HGTV, we know Home and Garden Television, 
has some really fun, exciting TV shows that have uh, made people think a lot about home values over the last 15 years. Right. And uh, that just seems like a more productive, fun place to hang out. You know what I'm talking about, Greg. Like MTV, everyone's just trying to be cool. HGTV, people are actually doing things. So I think right. I fit in better. <laughs> Is MTV even around anymore? I I don't know, Greg. Is TV still around? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Who's got time to even look this stuff up? Right. Exactly. And so talking about the video world still, you're telling me that YouTube ruined your yard? Tell me about that. Oh, Greg, this was the worst. My wife and I had just gotten married, and this is about 10 years ago. She kept on saying that she wanted a garden. And of course, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. We were living in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm like, I just don't think we'll grow. I don't think things will grow here. Yeah. She kept asking and she's like, when are we going to do this? And finally, I just went on YouTube and I typed in Arizona gardening, came across a few wild characters. You're one of them. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, Greg, looking sharp, digging holes, mycorrhiza, the whole deal. I just started to binge watch these videos at the end of the day. I turned to my wife and I said, I think we can really do this. And when I say it ruined my yard is I had a perfectly beautiful large, expansive South Tempe property that was the envy of a lot of people. But the more I walked out back and looked at what I had, I just knew it had to change. So yes, YouTube ruined my life and I couldn't be happier for it. There you go. So we've been interacting for a few years now and you've sent me lots of pictures of your space before and after. Uh, you're really motivated to get this backyard of yours transformed. If somebody was walking up your driveway and kind of you know, went around to the left or to the right of the driveway and into the backyard, what are they going to see? Well, what they're going to see is, uh, so it's a third of an acre. So depending on where you live, that might seem little or might seem big. Um, here in Phoenix, a third of an acre is a pretty big piece of property. Yep. Our backyard, year three, and in year three, we've covered half of our backyard. So we've flattened out the property. So we brought in 20, 25 tons of dirt to flatten out the property. We put in a new, better, more playful yard for the kids. And then we've wrapped the edges of the yard. Now, I want you to imagine, Greg, we, we know in Phoenix, what do you typically see in someone's backyard? What do you normally see? Gravel or grass. Exactly. You have grass in the middle and then gravel goes where? On the edge. On the edge. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. you get one or two, three desert trees, some oleanders that eventually kill everyone, right? Right. If you imagine our back property is different because we have that beautiful panel of green grass, but along the edges, just imagine a six or eight foot deep food forest that wraps the edges of our property. And what that accomplishes is privacy. You get more privacy from your neighbors, but it also gives you that beautiful garden that you wanted. So that's a big picture, small picture. We've got some pretty creative playhouse activities for the kids. We're putting in raised bed gardens. We have a small orchard of peaches and plums. Uh, total uh, fruit trees that we put in probably were up to about 75 in the last three years. Nice. Um, yeah, and you were there, dude. I, I, we, we were there, the whole clan, my wife and I. And, of course, now we, it's not just the two of us. We have five children. We load up everything from the urban farm store, and then we go and we dig and we plant and we have a blast with it. So you used a term a moment ago that I'm going to call you out on. You said food forest, and when we were starting to kind of go over our notes before we started recording today, you said, no, I really don't want to call it a food forest, and we just decided to call it a garden. And I liked your reasoning behind not calling it a food forest, so 
Tell me about that. Yeah, that's okay. So at Food Forest, as we know, so if you go on Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, Food Forests are never much to look at. It usually is a single-minded person who wants to get as much production from their, from their space. So talk about like it's a whole foods in your backyard. The problem with Food Forests is that they're unwieldy. They're not compatible with compatible with entertaining because you've literally put a tree on every space you can Mm. in your property. And then also like if, you know, I have five children, they need places to play and to run and to leap and to bounce. And it can't happen when there's a tree every six inches. So my inspiration is, so Thomas Jefferson, Monticello, Mm -hmm. uh, and then George Washington with Mount Vernon. If you just Google image search, those two gardens, that's what we're going for. They're very preppy. If, can I use the word preppy, Greg? Sure. <laughs> They're very preppy. Everything is very orderly. Everything is very measured and geometric, and there's beautiful patterns. And, you know, Monticello and Mount Vernon, those gardens are every bit of a food forest is what the hipsters are doing now, but they're more thoughtful and they're more geometric and they're better laid out. And I think that's a fundamental difference. Like you still get the production, but you don't ignore the fact that people like pretty spaces. So that's what we try to do. So you are correct. It is not a food forest. It's a lot more preppy than that. <laughs> I love that you use the word preppy. <laughs> so what are you growing and harvesting right now? So you said you have some raised beds and... Yeah, so yeah. So the raised beds are in progress. We're doing... Have you seen uh, Shishugi Bond? You know, am I saying that right? It's a Japanese word. Hmm, I don't know. Okay, so this is burnt cedar. So cedar, of course, uh, I've heard yes. that cedar helps, right? Cedar helps yep. keep away the bugs. Is that right? Yep. And what I've seen that they do in Japan is they actually blow torch it. Like, have you, go on YouTube and look it uh-huh. up, torched cedar. Yep. And what you end up with is a very cool architectural finish that you have black. Like, it's just straight up charred wood. And it does really well in the Arizona sun. So right now I'm Shoshugi bonding my garden beds. So imagine me with a massive blowtorch uh, in my backyard. <laughs> wow. It's the best. <laughs> so the garden beds, we finally got the irrigation done. So we're not full-fledged gardeners. We've done microgreens. But as far as setting up the raised garden beds, we're still not. That'll be here soon enough. What are we harvesting? Let me think. Um, plums, uh, peaches, and an apple, your favorite, right? Yep, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for the recommendation. Uh-huh. We have, how do you pronounce this? I've heard a million people say it a million ways. Is it espalier, espalier? I've heard it both ways, espalier or espalier. Uh, it's a okay, f- French so, word, so maybe we should ask yeah. our French friends up in Quebec or <laughs> Co- or Quebec, de- depending on how you... <laughs> well, I feel pretentious or dumb either way I say it. There you but go. The idea is that it's like a tree that's been flattened to maybe look similar to a grapevine. Uh-huh. So that's, we have a lot of espaliered apples, so quite a few varieties of apples. We have uh, plum cots and pluots. We have probably, we're going to get some Katie ap- apricots. The Katie's should be set on the tree right now. They are. Yeah, There's, so you'll we, get we some. Have, okay, good. Well, you know, I'm being uh, kind of cautiously optimistic. Uh-huh. So I see the fruit there, but I just don't quite know. And then, you know, I'm optimistic about our acerola cherries. I'm optimistic about our pomegranates. So think, you know, pl- you know, beautiful, tasty things, you know, so that's what we're expecting to get. I mean, it's looking very promising here in year three. 
Nice. Well, and of the trees that you've planted, because it usually takes about three years to get fruit off of a tree once you plant it. Of the trees you've planted, many of them have fruit on them right now, right? Absolutely. And those are the year two and three ones. We do have a year one in the ground. I can't explain it, but I think it's the root stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this thing is fierce. I mean, this peach tree is about as tall as my knee, and it's got like six or eight fruits on it. I mean, it's yeah. the most adorable thing I've ever seen. That would be the that would be the uh, dwarf bonanza peach, I'll bet. Uh, it's either that or this tropic snow. I'll let you know. I'm really curious. How are your kids taking this? Because how old, how old are your kids? Let's go there first. Uh, so I have five children. They're 10, 8, 6 four and two. Wow. So they're really at a a forming age around dealing with nature, playing with nature, uh, not being in front of technology. How are they interacting with this and what, what are they up to with it? Oh, I tell you, this literally could be a book. I mean, this could be a documentary. I I just cannot overstate how amazing, you you know, fruit trees and gardening are for children. Mm -hmm. It, it, I cannot overstate it. Like I find my, so we do a lot of nature journals. Uh, and, and what that is simply is just a simple bound book. And you go out and you take notes on what you see. So it's not about artwork or doing some beautiful still life of apples in a bowl or something, but like, let's study a, a bud of the apple tree and study it day after day and watch how it changes. Ooh. And what's happened is I mean, it's amazing, Greg. I, like, you just can't believe it. Like, you know, here we have this big house, and all of a sudden the house is quiet, and you get panicky as an adult. Like, where are my children? Yeah. And you go into the backyard, and you have five children studying different trees and showing one another what they've discovered. Wow. And um, it's amazing. When we have guests, like when we have people over the house, the number one thing and the only thing they want to talk about is the backyard. It's not just about playing baseball or playing catch, you know, with your kids in the backyard or practicing soccer. All those things are good, but you have a garden and fruit trees in your backyard. It's absolutely magical. And I, and I know anyone listening who has children knows this is true, uh, but for, you know, young parents who are kind of concerned that maybe a garden would be overwhelming, it's magical. I could talk all day about it, but it's beautiful to watch. Awesome. And you've created some built structures in your backyard that are, they do multiple things. Tell me about that. Well, first of all, Greg, you're going to have to come and hang out is our playhouse. Um, Uh We've made a a pretty cool playhouse. So imagine a lifeguard tower. So just kind of imagine what a lifeguard tower looks like. It's similar to that, but we've made it large enough. And because of the pitched roof, it's tall enough that adults can hang out in it as well. Wow. There's nothing more sad than building a cute little miniature house for your children in your backyard, and then your kids grow a foot in two years and they can't fit it anymore. Yeah. So our playhouse is a multi-purpose space. Uh, it's a lot like a tiny house where the furniture converts and changes to be a bench and to be a, a couch, to be a bed, to be a booth that they can hang out in. So that's just a lot of fun. We have trap doors and swing out doors and barn doors. It's just the ultimate kids hideaway. So that's the structure. I mean, that's where I have my coffee every morning. Like that's where we hang out. Wow, nice. (laughs) So that was pretty cool. We're about to finish up our garden arbor with a beautiful, adorable garden gate to it as well. So we have a red and a green grape that will be growing up and over. Uh Um, So that's exciting. 
Um, have you ever seen the slack line, Greg? Do you know what I, that looks Absolutely. like when you say slack line? That's one. That's okay. one of those wires that people walk across, right? Yeah. Well, that's a taut line. Now, a slack line is like a strap. It's like a canvas strap, and it's meant to be slack, and it requires a, a different kind of balance that's better for children because uh-huh. it helps them balance better. So they're always walking the slack line. They're always swinging from the rope swings. Um, those kinds of things are important. Now, this summer, what we're adding, we're doing an outdoor fireplace, uh-huh. which is going to be a really fun hangout. And that's right in the garden. So you have the raised garden beds, a dining room table, and an outdoor fireplace. So that's going to be magical. We're doing a porch swing out there so we can sit in the orchard with the porch swing. Uh-huh. And then finally, you want to talk about, what is it, farm to table? Yep. <laughs> we're doing a really cool outdoor potter's bench or a potter's table, but it's part potter's table, part outdoor grill and sink. So we can literally pull up the carrots, wash them, slice them, and who knows, grill them at the same time. So those are some of the structures coming into place. We live in the desert and often people ask me when I say, well, you need to do rainwater harvesting. They say, "Uh, you live in the desert, why bother? But it sounds to me like you've jumped into that arena as well. Yeah, actually, this is something I'm really excited about. You know, gray water is cool, and for some people, it works very well. You know, they have, for instance, I don't know what the rules are, Greg. Do you know what are the rules for, like, a washing machine, like, runoff from a washing machine? Like, what are the rules in Arizona? Do you know? Yes, there's actually 13 best practices. Uh, I couldn't recite them, but it's fairly simple. You just need to make sure that you uh, exit gray water. So gray water is any water that goes down any sink or drain in your house except your kitchen sink or your toilet. And it's legal in Arizona to use it if you follow these 13 guidelines. And there are things like make sure that you don't put, you know, something you don't want in your yard down the drain. Make sure that you exit all water, gray water uh, subsurface so that you're not, you know, like putting it out on the lawn. So, you know, simple stuff like that. And I actually have a couple of gray water systems here at the urban farm. It's, it's actually quite simple. Arizona gray water, I like the idea that they encourage it. For us, it wasn't doable because where we would pull our gray water from is all kind of an island within our home. Mm-hmm. Like it's difficult to get water from the washing machine into yep. the garden, for instance. Yeah. So rainwater was our only option. And so what I've done is, first of all, again, what I described earlier, imagine a big grass yard, a big rectangle, like a miniature football field. And then along the edges, you've got a six or eight foot deep, you know, fruit tree you know, preppy forest along the edges. So the way we shaped the property, all the water washes away from the home and it washes to the edges of the property. And that's where the fruit trees are. So simple stuff, right? Like where does the water go? Mm -hmm. So that's step one. Step two is that for our orchard, which is not huge. When I say orchard, it's like 20 feet by 20 feet, but we fit in quite a density. We probably have like 10, 12 trees in the orchard. I, I went to one of your uh, your tours of the urban farm, and I remember you talking about how you can have a rainwater like barrel or you can have one, a big, you know, uh, gathering space for all of it. What do you call the, the culvert? That's a cool option, but you also said, why not just put the water where you want it to yeah. go? So we've, we've done a series of underground drainage pipes that once we put gutters on the home, we'll be able to hook, hook it up mm-hmm. and it flushes the most tree dense parts of our home with a tremendous amount of water. Yeah. So in addition to like the natural rain 
puddling on the edges, we're gathering everything from the roof as well. So it's only halfway there. The pipes are in the ground, but as soon as we put the gutters on, we're going to, you know, dig up the top end of the pipe, connect everything. And then when those summer monsoons come, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, is that going to be exciting to watch? Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, in rainwater and gray har water harvesting, I highly suggest that people not store water that you plant the water in the ground and then plant your landscape around it. And you took that advice and you're running with it. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I think if you're totally off grid, you know, storing rainwater is an, a matter of life, you yes, know? Yes. But most listeners, most of us aren't off grid. Like we live in urban and suburban areas. So it's, a, you know, who's got the room to store 20,000 gallons of water. I would much rather just push all that $20,000, 20,000 uh, gallons and spoil the orchard. Give them a deep, awesome water. Yeah. It's just going to make those trees so happy. Yeah, exactly. Plus, rainwater harvesting containers are expensive. Yeah, they are expensive. And honestly, they always talk about food-grade plastic. Uh -huh. You know that it's BPA-free. But I'm a little skeptical. It's I don't still know. Plastic. Sometimes I just wonder. Yeah. Yeah, it's still plastic. And it's underneath that severe UV sun. I don't know. Part of me just wonders if you're just kind of spoiling the water. I don't know. I, I would love to learn more about it, but I like the idea of just sticking it in the ground and being done with it. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about new gardeners feeling overwhelmed. And you have a, an, a curious take on that it's not overwhelming. Tell me about that. Here's the thing, Greg. I, I am so geeked out on this. I am such an advocate. I know. I love it. I overwhelm people at the coffee shop. I find ways to bring it up in conversation, like the old saying, how can I keep from singing, right? So I am an unapologetic advocate for urban gardening, especially for people who are already busy. Uh -huh. So how does that work? If you're already busy, how do you decide to do something as overwhelming as gardening? And the answer is this, and I know I'm preaching the choir, Greg, but I'm still going to preach. Okay. Please. I just got to preach. Oh, do it. Is that Bring it. gardening, it changes the math. It changes how you use your time. And it does require time. It does require attention. But if you spend two hours on your phone, a day, and it ends up, that's about the American average. That is eight hours, what, well, no, 10 hours in a given work week that we've spent on our phones, mm -hmm. right? That's our average that we're running at. Yeah. If that same 10 hours is spent in your backyard, you are not left wanting more as an unsatiated, you know, but if you look at your phone for an hour and you feel like you're not done, so you got to put in another hour. And I don't know, you could be watching YouTube videos or on Pinterest, but you don't get honest returns from your phone and everyone knows that that's true. Yeah. But when you are busy and overwhelmed, when you go into the garden, when you walk around and you look at your fruit trees, when you watch the butterflies go from flower to flower, when you smell the aroma of the peach and plum blossoms, mm. it, tra it transforms you, yeah. you know? It's the craziest paradox. I mean, I have five children. Like if anyone is busy, it's me and my wife. But since we've begun taking this seriously, I feel like we have more free time than we ever had. So if anyone, and I'm, uh, like if anyone is hesitant to get started, know that this is not like um, a zero-sum game. It's not like, do I enjoy my favorite sports teams? Oh, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm stuck gardening in the backyard. It doesn't work like that. Right. So my cheery demeanor is not naive. You know, like this cheery demeanor is a guy who's living this and I want other people to live it too. Heidi and I call that farm time. You go out oh, and... Oh, that's fun. Yeah, you go out, use it. You go out in the yard and, you know, all of a sudden it's three hours later because you just, you know, you got enveloped 
in the lusciousness of the space that you're creating. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned Heidi and I, the two of you. That's how you spend time together. Yeah. And it's the same thing with married couples, with moms and dads and your children. It's not an isolating thing at all. Right. I mean, it's a community thing. And and I'm not, this is no joke, but like the number of our friends and family who have heard about our garden who want to come and see it, we host you know, uh, casual garden tours, probably five, six times a month for people who come over. Wow. And the experience that you have with friends and family and new friends and new family in your garden, it's magical. Honestly, here, let's, let's just kind of compare and contrast here. The typical backyard, we'll just talk Arizona, is you have a pool, um, you've got a little bit of, of grass that's bound in an amoeba shape, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. You know what I'm talking about? You got, you know, uh, a couple beautiful but desert trees. And again, I love those too, but that's all. And then they invest their money in like an expensive outdoor barbecue station. Uh-huh. Maybe they have a trampoline area and then a bunch of plate space they didn't know what to do with, so put in gravel. Like that's a, a, a backyard committed to entertainment. You're going to entertain with outdoor dining. You're going to entertain with your pool and you're going to entertain with your trampoline, right? Yep. But for me, what I've seen is the amount of entertaining that can happen in a backyard like this is unparalleled. Like people don't want to go in your house. They just could right. not care less. <laughs> so that's why we're building a massive outdoor dining room table is everyone wants to be out there. I mean, they take their plates of food from our kitchen. They say, can we just go and stand next to the orchard? So yeah, the math absolutely changes. I love that. So we started this podcast with a promise that we would be talking about home values. I don't want to go past that. First of all, pretty much everything that we've been talking about for the past 27 minutes increases home values. And I think that's your contention. Tell me about that. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about HGTV. Greg, what's, I swear there's one kind of home improvement show that you cannot avoid. And it's, you buy a house, you fix it up, you sell it for more money, right? Have you seen those? They're uh, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> fix and flip, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one of them, there's a thousand. And one of the unfortunate casualties of HGTV and DIY, and of course you see this on YouTube as well, people are making their own shows and sharing them. The casualty is that everything you do has to have a clear return on investment. Yep. So the ROI of granite countertops, you know, we've heard that. The other one's stainless steel appliances, you know, quartz countertops, hardwood mm-hmm. floors, whatever. We have a mathematical approach that, although very well-intentioned, it's created a lot of generic homes that don't really appeal to a lot of people. You know, if you want a cookie-cutter house, you can get it on a house flip. So what I'm seeing, though, is a change. If that is what we could see um, over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, I think we're at a cultural point where we've been trying this standardized backyard and a standardized improved home And we're seeing that there are very real limits to it. And honestly, I don't want to overstate this, but are you familiar with Chip and Joanna Gaines? Are are you familiar with those two? No. Okay. That's because you're so cultured, Greg. You're you're in the corner reading books all the time. (laughs) There you go. Um, (laughs) Are they on HGTV? Yeah, they are on HGTV. I don't watch that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, let me catch you up real quick. 30 seconds. They've had the most influential fix and flip show. They fix up homes for families. It's very intimate and it's very beautiful. And the before and afters are remarkable. 
they have built a multi-million dollar empire. They have their own line of products at Target. They have their own magazines. They have new television shows. Like they have built an all-out absolute, I mean, they've reshaped the way people think about home improvement. And what happened this time last year is in their final season, they released one of the most important episodes, which is where Chip and Joanna Gaines actually created with their family a backyard garden. And this garden is adorable and it's beautiful and it's built to do more than just have a beautiful backyard. It's built for their family. And I, I, you know, there's this urban gardening thing has been, you know, because of the tireless efforts of people like you and so many people are passionate about it has caught on with a lot of people, but I think once millions and millions of people saw what Chip and Joanna built for their outdoor garden and their outdoor gathering spaces, Uh uh, it created a moment where people are rethinking. They're like, why the heck do we just have this standard backyard? And I think we're getting to that point where it's no longer an argument. Like we don't even have to debate it. Does a backyard filled with fruit trees add value to your home? Yes, Yes, it does. it does. Raised bed gardens absolutely adds value. And in case anybody had doubt, look at what Chip and Joanna have done and look at the trend that's coming just out of that. It's a whole new level of people who are committed to urban gardening. So I could go on forever, but that's it in a nutshell. Well, and I've seen that just in the work that I do over the past 20 years. When I started doing tours here at the Urban Farm in 2001 and 2002, there were Saturdays that I would put up my tent and announce a tour and nobody would show up. And now, I know, right? And now... Uh, you know, like 18 years later, we have to offer multiple tours over the course of a weekend because so many people want to see it. I am, uh, you know, in the lectures that I, that I give and even this podcast, I am told by people in the industry and, you know, this is not something I really know about, but I've been told by people in the industry that we are in the top 4% of all podcasts out there for the amount of people that are listening, which is just, it's magical. So we're seeing it and we're seeing it from, you know, baby boomers all the way to millennials. They're interested, which is, you know, I'm in heaven. Thank you very much. Oh, well, let me tell you a little bit about heaven. Just another anecdote to kind of illustrate the point here. What is more likely, and I'm going to throw this question to you, Greg, it's an, but what's more likely a new neighborhood built around a new golf course or a new neighborhood with a community garden? I think these days the community garden is where it's going. Absolutely. I'm working with a builder here in Phoenix that is putting in all edible landscapes in his communities. That's just where he's at. Well, and we have an example. Like I know people listen to this podcast around the country, but here in Arizona we have Agritopia, yep. which is uh, Joe Johnson's project. Where oh, yeah. It's, it's like the most magical community you could ever imagine. And it's all anchored around a functioning uh, urban farm. Mm-hmm. And then also people have their own raised beds. So you get to see a large scale farming happening every day. And then you also get to be a part of it. And yeah. all of the walkways have grapevines. I mean, it's, you know, the listeners should Google Agritopia, take a look at what it is. And I think Joe was ahead of his time, but you both oh, yes. are. But I mean, for real, if you ask anyone, you know, my, so I, I'm just turning 40 now. If you ask anyone 40 or younger, which is more interesting to you, buying a home next to a golf course or buying a home in uh, a rural agricultural gardening and farming community? Like I sparkle. So I, I guess to bring this full circle, 
the reason why I'm talking about this is I just, again, I'm, I'm an advocate for this stuff. I don't want anyone who's listening to think that somehow their livelihood or their net worth is threatened by a hobby like this. Yeah. Like the tides are turning and yes, put in your granite countertops if that makes you happy or you know what, put in quartz if it makes you happier, but don't stop in your backyard and think that you have to do something generic. This kind of thing matters a lot. It does. Um, and I'm seeing it out in Southern California. We spend a lot of time in San Diego and we always have fun with the home tours and this is central. Like all the hip new communities, if they don't have an urban garden, it's, uh, boring. A bad look for them. Yeah, yeah. boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, awesome. Thank you for all that great info. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Oh my gosh, failure. Well, I don't know. We've killed six or eight trees, uh-huh. so we could start there. Oh, you're but just, you're just beginning, man. Yeah. I've killed <laughs> I've killed six or eight hundred trees, not on purpose. Well, yeah. Well, because you killed yours, you told the rest of us what not to do. So <laughs> right. I've only killed 10%. Honestly, Greg, the funniest, most random failure is, is a little frightening. We have a compost bin and we dump in food scraps, uh, grass clippings, you name it, right? So you try to keep a good mix of browns and greens. And I have done some research that ash from fire, your fireplace. So not like ash from your grill. Like if you have charcoal, you don't want that, but ash from your fireplace yep. works well. Yep. So we had some elm. We had an elm tree that died out front and uh, I split it into firewood. We burn it in our fireplace. And after three days, um, I had ash. I swept it up. I put it in um, a pail and carried it outside. And I thought, do I throw this in the trash can? Or do I put it in the compost bin? I sprinkle it in the compost bin. I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. Let's see how this goes. So I'm actually pretty excited. We're not just doing your standard compost mix of green and brown, but we're adding in some, you know, ash. And what could be more awesome? Ash from a tree that you cut down and split the wood, right? Mm-hmm. Go to bed, wake up in the middle of the night, and I smell smoke. Uh-oh. Yep. And it was dense. Okay. It's the kind of smoke that wakes you up. Uh I go downstairs. I look in our fireplace. I'm like, I don't have a fire. I don't know what's going on here. And I look out my back patio doors and my compost bin is on fire. fire. Oh my gosh. It was on fire. And I'm not just talking like smoldering. I'm talking like bonfire, frat boy bonfire. Okay. Wow. So in my PJs, Greg, I run outside, I grab my five 10-gallon buckets, you know, your garden buckets, yep. and start to pull water out of the pool, and I'm dousing this burnt-up compost bin. And this is a large city of Tempe-issue trash can. Oh, my like, gosh, this thing so is it's massive. melting. It is melting. It was frightening. But I did about 10 buckets, so about 100 gallons of water on this thing drenched like you could not believe. I had ash all over my feet. I smelled like smoldering smoke and my heart was pounding. And uh, I, it was like four in the morning, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like four in the morning, so <laughs> wow. in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. So, like for real, could you imagine a bonfire in the middle of the night on your back patio? Yeah. So anyway, I got in the house and I realized I'm not going back to sleep. So I made some coffee and I just stood there and watched it for the next two hours till the sun came up. And here's my theory on it. I think what happened was, first of all, never assume that your ash is burnt done. I Amen. Mean, three days. Yep. Okay. Never hit it with the hose. The other thing is that this did have some dried leaves in the bottom uh-huh. that I had not turned over. 
So it's very possible that maybe it was just one, you know, just one piece, like one small smoldering piece of ash yeah. made its way down. Regardless, my wife has created some house rules, so ash does no longer go anywhere like that. <laughs> so that's my biggest failure. There yeah. you go. Well, and I, my life down. I actually picked up some cold ash from a local restaurant to put in our compost pile a while back. And I put it in plastic buckets and I brought it home and I stuck it out by the compost bin, figured I'd deal with it later. And one of the buckets melted. Yeah. And this was no joke. It's no joke. You're right. You're right. So if you are going to deal with ash like that, just, you know, ash is really good for the compost bin and stick a hose in it. Yep. Just hit it with a hose. It's plain and simple. If you don't do that, then you're, you're literally playing Playing with fire. fire. (laughs) So, what do you consider your biggest success besides this amazing backyard that you're going to invite me to come over and see? Oh, well, amazing in that it's momentum. It's not finished. It is a three-year project. We are about one third of the way through. I would say the biggest accomplishment is that um, you hear this phrase a lot, Greg, it's like, feel the fear, do it anyway. Yep. Is that the day that we started to rip out the backyard, like we're pulling out the brick borders we're ripping out the sod. We're tearing out these crungy oleanders, you know, 2,000 pounds, by the way. Mm-hmm. We took oh, yeah. 2,000 pounds of oleanders to the dump. We're like, wow. they weighed it. You can't imagine the number of skeptics within my network of friends who stood <laughs> on my back patio and say, what have you done? So the greatest achievement is that, so we'll call those haters, okay? Those haters now cannot get enough of our backyard. It's not about pleasing skeptics, but if skeptics can change their mind, imagine the people who are optimistic about doing the same thing. Absolutely, this works. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And what drives you? When I just got married, my time with MTV was fun. It was exciting. It was a rare moment in history where an ordinary person can become extraordinary, literally overnight. Like when MTV airs your TV show, you become a celebrity. Like yeah. within 10 minutes of my first show airing, people asked for my autograph in a parking lot in the middle, you know, at, at 1030 at night. They yeah. recognized me underneath the dim light of a street lamp, wow. you know, and that chapter is cool and that's fun. And it's an adventure, right? Like it's a cool bucket list type thing to do. But, you know, life is real and life is tough. And for me, after that chapter of my life, I felt so fatigued by this idea of you work all day, work really hard, and then you go and spend all your money at the grocery store. And then you fight your way through the parking lot with your cart. You load it all into your car. You bring it home. And before you know it, your food is gone. Your recycle bin is filled and you're back at it the next day. There's a a grind that is just inherent to the modern world that we've created for ourselves. And there's a lot of ways to break out of that grind. Like for me, of course, right now as an entrepreneur, that's a big step out of that grind. But I think for everyone, growing your own food and changing your backyard to be more than just what it is today, it changes the math. You know, I've heard people say like, oh my gosh, why would you spend so much time growing an apple when I could just buy one is what they say. And they always assume that it, they're talking about the 12 seconds that it takes to take the apple from this display and put it into their cart. Right. What they're forgetting is the chaos of the parking lot, the fuel they use to drive to the, get, to the, uh, the grocery store. They're forgetting the time that they spend at work to earn that money. Mm-hmm. They forget the stress and anxiety of working their way through rush hour traffic, that whole deal. 
that if you do dime for dime your investment of time and talent and your treasure, what's important to you in life, I think it's better. Your backyard garden is better, even when it's a young garden like ours and it's not putting yeah. off tons of fruit. I'll take this any day. Yeah. So what drives me is, you know, I, you know, we don't have a lot of life, right? Like we don't, we don't have a lot of days. We don't have a lot of years. Yep. I don't know, Greg, like, I I don't want to get spiritual on everybody, but you ask yourself, what is life about? Mm -hmm. And and I can't believe we're meant to be scurrying around in rush hour, trying to pull together these ends of our day-to-day life. Just thinking that this morning, I had to drive in rush hour traffic and it was like, I would bang my head against the wall if I had to do this every day, driving out of apartments, going to a job that you don't necessarily love when there's so much more. So I hear you. Yeah. Well, can I touch on that real quick? Please. Is that I know people right now who are listening to this podcast in their car stuck in rush hour traffic. Yep. You know, so I know that there's a longing to break out of these patterns, you know, and of course you can talk about you know, corporate America, you can talk about crazy bosses, you can talk about rush hour. It's not always a possibility. Entrepreneurship is not a possibility for everybody. You know, sometimes it's just not in the cards. For a lot of us, it is. But what I'm getting at is that one thing we all can do is this breakthrough moment of when you realize that you can grow things and it's not just things and it's not just growing. So there is liberty. And, you know, we talk about being in America. I'm talking about freedom and liberty is I feel like some of these modern patterns that define society, these are failed experiments. Like right. this is not how it's meant to be. Yep. I mean, like for, for real, like George Washington, early in the show, we talk about Mount Vernon. His garden was beautiful. And it's the most influential person in American history in yep. that life chapter. Thomas Jefferson, like for millennia, for centuries, Humans and their cultures and their societies have decided that gardening was important and it was an integral part of a quality life. But it's only been in the last 60 years that people stopped doing that. Right. And, and to me, I think we're seeing this, that this was a bad idea, guys. We got to get back to where we started. So that motivates me. I want people to reclaim liberty and freedom and a sense of autonomy and resourcefulness that comes from having a garden. That drives me. Like, that's a very real passion of mine. You know what? We can hear that in your voice and your passion. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) If you could share one resource with our listeners, what would it be and why? Okay. This is so simple, but I'm just going to say it. Pinterest. Okay. Pinterest is a Wonderland social media app where anyone and everyone can just explore their interests. Women seem to like it more than men. I can't explain that. I totally love Pinterest so much, Um, but it's a great way to see visually what the possibilities are for your garden. Of course, YouTube is very awesome for learning the mechanics, the logistics of what to do and whatnot. But Pinterest is a place for pure inspiration. So anyone who's just even considering what could it be, go into Pinterest and create a pin board. Start one pin board, like layout ideas. Another pin board called structures that we could build, create a third pin board called trees that I'm interested in and really sit down with those and take notes. What is it that you like about this? Is it the geometry? Is it the layout? Is it the overall colors that they use? Really study those pictures. Don't just pin them and then get back into Pinterest, but really study what you have 
that has been an extraordinary resource for my wife and I as we're trying to figure out how we're going to pull yeah. this off. How do we have a preppy food forest? So Pinterest, of course. And you know what? One other one that is so super obvious, but you can't overstate it, is go on a garden tour. Yes. I cannot explain. We've been on, so we've been to your property. We've been to Crickets. We've been to Jake's. We've been to several in Arcadia. Yep. Those garden tours. I mean, what can you say about a garden tour? Why do you tell people to go to a garden tour? It's an opportunity to experience possibilities that you might be able to go install and create in your space. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, okay. So like, let's just straight up talk about the urban farm. Mm-hmm. Your hedge of the Anna apples is yep. magnificent. Yeah. That thing is gorgeous. That is like, I don't care if you like fruit trees, if you like apples, or I don't know, you know, what grid you value something. But if you're, if you want a pretty yard, plant a hedge of Anna apples. For me, Acerola cherries. I never would have known how beautiful an Acerola cherry bush is had I not seen it in Jake Mace's backyard. Right. I would not have known how awesome hollyhocks, you know, a beautiful oh, flower. Oh, my gosh. Or, oh, my gosh. Oh my yes. gosh. Or how gorgeous a loquat tree is had I not been to Cricket's backyard. Yep. So for listeners, regardless of where you live, there's an urban gardening movement. Make time for that. You know, take your loved ones, take your family. Honestly, Greg, by the time we finished off last year, we had an entourage, no joke, of about six or eight cars of friends and family that we brought with us to garden tours. When you do that, something magical happens. So yeah, there you go. Short answer, yeah. Pinterest and garden tours. Just so do it. I want to I wanna actually give a little bit more information about Pinterest and how I use it. I, you know, pin boards, all that stuff, have no idea. But about three years ago, I went looking for a view fence for my chicken area. And I just went on Pinterest and okay. I started looking for looking for at photographs there. And I found one that actually was really cool and simple to build. And that's how that got built. So that's actually how I've used that asset. Oh, you no, know, Pinterest is awesome. So here's some quick things we've used for Pinterest. That's where I learned about Shishugibon, how to have burnt. Oh, cedar. yes. Uh-huh. I learned all the different kinds of garden gates that you can have and the different yes. kinds of hinges. Oh, yeah. Um, like something simple. Like don't just trust that Lowe's has the only hinges. Don't waste your time right. there. You know, simple things like the different levels. So we have, we're putting in pea gravel in our our raised bed garden area. But what are the different levels of substrate that you have before you put in the pea gravel? The Pinterest, I guess what's different about Pinterest and YouTube is that YouTube, of course, is very loud and invasive. It's very immersive when you flip on YouTube. But Pinterest is very casual and quiet. And it's a very nerdy, booky but yeah. glamorous place to go. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I'm glad you go there, Greg, because it's fantastic. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Uh, final piece of advice, I would say without being redundant, what's a new piece of advice I give to people is it's okay to have an imperfect starting point. So of course, begin with the end in mind. Where do we want to go? What are we doing? You know, some simple questions that we had to answer is we wanted outdoor dining. We wanted a play space for children. We created, imagine, rooms in our backyard, just like you would design inside of your house with different rooms and purposes. We started there. But we also realized we didn't have all the answers. So we planted two plums and a peach three years ago. It was not a perfect place. We didn't uh-huh. know if it was the right microclimate. Right. You know, we didn't know if we had the right soil mixture. We didn't know if they were going to be there forever, but we knew we had to put those trees in the ground if we were ever going to get started. Yep. 
Since then, I'm not kidding. We've moved them into their third holes. Oh, okay? wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we planted them first, twice, and now third time in their yeah. final location. They're still hanging in there. They're not fruiting too well. They're a little shell-shocked. But it's not the end of the world, Greg. Right. Having to move a tree is not the end of the world. So I just don't want people to be so overwhelmed with all the lingo of microclimates and soil and sun exposure and cross-pollination. You know, that's what I call a fire hose of information. Right. Don't drown in that. Sometimes put a tree in the ground and be okay with it. So uh, it's a simple approach, but it, you'll get more joy out of planting that tree and watching those buds and flowers. So don't be afraid to start with simple. Sometimes that's just what you need, just one step forward, even if it's not, if it's not the perfect step forward. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Matt. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for having me. And Greg, thanks for all you've done. You're oh. an inspiration to a lot of people, and it's a privilege to be a part of what you're doing. Thanks. And right back at you, I love, love, love what you're doing. Who knows? Maybe someday um, MTV, HGTV, and YouTube will merge into one, and it will just be a happy world for all of us. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You can find more information on Matt and show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Smith House Design. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.